is so good. I just don't even know what to say. I'm just overwhelmed this morning by his goodness. Because I know that even the bad things are happening in my life, I've seen it time and time again. It's going to end well, right? It's going to happen. And so we, we learned last week a little bit about uh, going, yeah, back to the basics. Back to the basics of our faith. Living by faith. Because that's where it all started, right? That's where our salvation began. In this assurance and guarantee, that firm persuasion, that conviction that's all based upon hearing. That's what faith is. It began when we heard the good news about Jesus. Someone told us about it. Whether you turned on the radio, TV, or whether it was a friend or an enemy, or whether you just sat your butt in a church and someone told you all about how God came to the earth in the flesh, lived a perfect sinless life that none of us could ever do, and then gave his life on the cross. He paid the price for our sin. He made a way where there was no other way so that we can be saved. It's a free gift through our simple faith, through our faith. At some point, someone told us about that, and how he, he rose again. Yeah, that's, that's the best part. He's alive. He is alive. He is seated on the throne. He reigns sovereign over all. Everything bows the, knee, bows the knee to the name of Jesus. All authority is given to him. But at some point, we heard about that, and we decided to put our faith in what we heard. And I don't know what your experience was, because everyone's experience is a little different, but most of us after we put our faith and said, yes, Lord, we felt the weight of our sin lift. We felt the manifest presence of God as the Holy Spirit was deposited in our lives for the first time. We felt the presence of God. We felt all this shame and condemnation just melt away. Like our past lives had no hold on us anymore. I don't know about you, but I felt invincible. I wanted everyone to know about this, you know, Jesus that I just heard about. It's awesome. It was after we put our faith in what we heard, then we experienced. And it's no different throughout the rest of our Christian days of this life that we've been given here on the earth. It started by faith, and it continues by faith. It is faith first. Faith first. And sometimes we we've get that kind of twisted as we walk with the Lord for a while. We forget about the fact that it is our faith first, because it is our faith through which God operates within. So when it comes to God's word, every single one of his promises that his word says are yes and amen, they begin with our faith, right? We hear about it and then we put our faith in it. It also endures by our faith. Because he saves you as soon as you cry out to him. That's a promise. Some of the other promises, there's that little IF word in front of them. If we do our part, then God does his part. And sometimes it takes a season of endurance, of believing in what God said. Because, you know, just my Pastor Tentos or my, my healing of this diabetes. Like, I praise God for technology that can keep, you know, me alive. But I'm believing in better things because I know that God, who heals every sickness and every disease, even the ones that doctors cannot cure, that there is no cure for, nothing too hard for him. So we endure sometimes by our faith. We, we speak and we prophesy by our faith because every promise manifests itself by our faith. And, it, and then we freely give away to other people by our faith. By faith, we speak to other people about what God can do. And he does it. 
We, we read this awesome reminder in Hebrews chapter 13, verse 8, that Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Forever Jesus has been Jesus. He has been creating and healing and restoring and delivering. And I mean, he, he was the, the fourth one in the fire with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, right? He's been walking through you. Walking through you. Yeah, walking through you. And walking with you. <laughs> through those storms and fires of life. It's faith in him. In him alone. He is alive and well and he still, he still desires to seek and to save the lost. He still desires and longs that all might be saved and repent and come to his salvation. He longs to fill us with the Holy Spirit. He longs to cooperate with us to do all the works that he did. And remember what Jesus said? And even greater things he wants to do in cooperation with us. Jesus is still waiting on those things to happen. And as we saw last week, however, there's one thing, one really big but really tiny thing that can actually stand in the way of Jesus accomplishing his will on the earth. Because we have this paradox of our will and his will, and he will never override our will. He wants to cooperate with us, to work with us. We can stand in the way of Jesus, at least to the degree that he has planned and purposed, to work on the earth and that is of course our faith and we read about that last week in mark chapter 6 and matthew chapter 13 says when jesus was hanging out with his own boys right he's back in his hometown with his friends with his family all the people he grew up with and they were so happy to see jesus again and then jesus stands up and quotes i think it's isaiah 61 right i should have looked it up 60 or 61 he was like i'm the one that this is prophesied about i'm here to set the captives free you know, and he apparently it wasn't a Pentecostal church. It was a Hebrew church because they didn't say, yeah, they said, grab a rock. This guy's got to die. They literally drove him to a cliff wanting to kill him. It was their faith. Even in the flesh, God himself could not do any miracles in his own, home, own hometown among his own family and friends. He could not do any miracles there except lay his hands on a few sick people and heal them because of their lack of faith. Because of their lack of faith. It wasn't an issue with the willingness of God and the purpose of God. And, you know, sometimes it's the timing of God. This isn't the only thing that we have to cooperate with. But it was their faith that stopped Jesus from doing things. From doing the miracles he wanted to do. It was not only the faith of those who, who were intended to receive the miracles from jesus but we also see it was the faith of his own disciples when they were ministering out that caused issues and we find this in matthew chapter 17 their faith it says what and, and by the way this happened after the transfiguration and if you don't know what the transfiguration is that's when like peter james is it peter james and john it's okay, it's interactive here. Sometimes I'm wrong, that's why I ask. I believe it was Peter, James, and John. They were up on the mountain with Jesus, and he was praying, and all of a sudden he turns like bright white, and then there's Elijah and Moses hanging out with Jesus. And you can find these same encounters in the Old Testament when they got on that same mountain. It's so cool. He was transfigured in, in time and in space, and somehow they knew who they were. They're like, hey, should we set up a tent for Moses and Elijah? You know, so cool. They saw this happen. They go down off the mountain, and then this happens. How often are we touched by the presence of God in a service or in a conference, and we're just so moved by him? 
Then we get back to everyday life, and it's like, it's okay. They, they suffered through this too. It says, when they came to the crowd, a man approached Jesus and knelt before him. Lord, have mercy on my son. And if any of you have ever dealt with your children being sick, and you want to strangle the doctors next because it's like, just heal them, fix them. This is the point of desperation that this father was in. You know, you just feel helpless and you need them taken care of. He said, and, and so this father, he kneels before Jesus, like, have mercy on him. He has seizures and he has suffered greatly. Often he falls into the fires or into water. And, and I brought him to your disciples, but they couldn't heal him. They couldn't heal him. I felt like those disciples sometimes. It's like, well, I prayed. What else am I supposed to do? Like, Lord, help me, teach me, train me, you know? And it's good to be there. Yeah. Thank you. All right. Yeah. I remembered something. <laughs> I use notes for everything else. And Jesus replied this way He said, You unbelieving, you faithless, you perverse generation. How long do I have to stay and put up with you? Just bring the boy here to me. Ouch. Like, it's, Jesus, that didn't feel very Christ-like. I mean, they tried. Why don't you help him out here, you know? But what was he frustrated with? It was faith. It was just their faith. That's all they needed. We're going to continue on here. Jesus rebuked the demon. It came out of the boy, and he was healed at that very moment. Sometimes sickness is a result of demons. I mean, it just is. You know, you'll find it over and over again throughout Jesus' ministry. He was healed in that very moment. So then the disciples came to Jesus in private. And later they asked him, why couldn't we do it? Why couldn't we drive that demon out? So they discerned that this is a demon that's causing this boy to have seizures. He's, you know, that's the root cause of, of why um, this boy's life is in such uh, distress. And they tried to drive the thing out, but they just couldn't. So they asked Jesus, why? And Jesus replied in verse 20. He said, because you have so little faith. Truly, I tell you, if you have faith as small as a mustard seed, you can say to this mountain, move from here to there, and it'll happen. Nothing will be impossible for you. So according to Jesus, it doesn't take much faith at all to do great, mighty things for him. If it's within the will of God, you just have to have the faith for it. It's really that simple, that easy. Sounds so easy. But man, apparently I, I need an increase of faith personally. Like this is, this is ouching me as much as probably can ouch anybody hearing this, in the, uh, hearing this message, you know, here online. Ouch. How many things do I need to increase my faith for? And I love what happened here. You see, according to Jesus, it doesn't take much faith at all. It was an issue of the faith. First of all, the boy's father and also the faith of the disciples that caused them to be unable to drive out that demon and release healing. The father cried out to Jesus in, in the account of Matthew, or I'm sorry, in Mark, actually. That father cried out to Jesus, I believe, but help my unbelief. You ever feel that way? You're like, God, I believe there's nothing too hard for you. But this is pretty tough, and I don't know if you can do it, you know. I, I believe, but help my unbelief. Jesus did not turn that father away and say, what's wrong with you? Get out of here. No, he healed the boy. He healed the boy. It's okay to cry out to Jesus and say, I know I, I'm, I know I'm lacking here. I need you. I need you. I need you to increase my faith, increase my belief. And again, this is the same concern that Jesus had about us 
He said in uh, Luke chapter 18, verse 8, When I return, will I find faith on the earth? Again from last week, just a reminder. Unfortunately, we don't look very far in history beyond the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus to see why he was so concerned that he would say that. Will he find faith on earth? In fact, if you want to turn ahead of me, Mark chapter 16. And depending on what translation of your Bible, it's, it's not in some of your translations. We can talk about that later. It's not in some of the oldest manuscripts. It's in some of the manuscripts, not others. So it's all italicized in some translations. Um, I believe it's the inspired word of God because it is in agreement with the rest of it. So I'm going to quote from it this morning. Mark chapter 16, verse 9 through 20. It says, when Jesus rose early on the first day of the week, I'm not an early riser. I don't get excited about that. But if I was dead and I rose early, pfft, yeah, I'd be giving some praise to God, right? This is when Jesus rose from the grave. We're going to talk about that in a, about a month, but we'll talk about it every week here. It says, he first appeared to Mary Magdalene, of whom he had driven out seven demons. Whew, we'll talk about a mess. Poor woman. I can't imagine how tormented and agonized she had to be. It says, she went and she told all those who had been with him, who were mourning and weeping, and when they heard the news that Jesus was alive and that she had seen them, they didn't believe it. And there's sort of a lesson in this, and I'm not going to go into the full lesson, but the Word of God teaches us, I think it's in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, that, that, that we grieve and we mourn, but we don't mourn like the rest of the world does. Sometimes our mourning and our grief can blind us to what God wants to do. Rather, the Word of God says that our, our grief and our mourning is coupled with hope. We know that's not the end. Not even death is the end for us. In fact, death is a new beginning for us in Christ, right? Mm. So, so don't let grief and mourning cause doubt to rise up in your life about God. God, why? We, we learned about that in Laz with Lazarus. If you were here, you could have healed him. You know, don't, don't let the, the pain of your grief blind you to what God is able to do. And that's another message for another time, but just felt like that little reminder this morning for someone here. So it said, afterward, Jesus appeared in a different form to two of them while they were walking in the country road. And again, you can read about this in, I believe it's the Gospel of John, the whole account of that happening. And he appeared to them, and they didn't recognize him while they were walking with him, and he told them the whole Gospel account. And verse 13 says, they returned, and they reported it to the rest. But they didn't believe them either. So now you've got three people saying Jesus is alive. And the rest of the disciples are like, you guys, you're, woo, you're a little loony here. I mean, he's dead. You know, just let us grieve. <laughs> Don't you see that in a lot of churches? Just, just, just let us, you know, be reverent before the Lord and continue mourning, you know. And it's his joy that is our strength, you know. And Anyways, later Jesus appeared to the eleven while they were chowing down eating. And he rebuked them for their lack of faith. For the stubbornness of their refusal to believe the people who had seen him alive after he had risen. He rebuked them and he said, I love this. God doesn't get upset for very long. He gets angry. He gets enraged. But his anger doesn't endure the way that ours does. He got angry, he rebuked them, then he's like, all right, let's get going. We got places to go, we got things to do. Let's move on from this place. So he said, go into all the world and preach the gospel to all of creation. 
The Great Commission, right? Whoever believes and is baptized will be saved. Whoever doesn't believe in me, they'll be condemned. And these signs will accompany those who believe. In my name, they will drive out demons. In my name, they will speak in new tongues. In my name, they will pick up snakes at their hands. And Nate, did I remember to bring those snakes this morning? No. <laughs> just kidding. The, the, the snake that Paul got bit by in the fire wouldn't just shook it off in the fire. That, that's what he was talking about. We're not, we're not going to go to that, what, I'm sorry, West Virginia, the snake handling churches. Those, those guys are crazy. Whew. Anyways, um, I, I, my faith isn't that high, and I don't care that much for snakes. Um, <laughs> in my name, they will drink deadly poison. It won't harm them at all. We declared that over some cancer patients, right? Amber didn't hurt her at all. She's alive and well. That cancer had no, no grip over her. Neither did the chemo. She's alive and well. Healed in Jesus' name. They will, they will place their hands on sick people and they will get well. That's why we lay hands on people here at the church and pray for people. Because God's word said it'll happen. After the Lord Jesus had spoken to them, he was taken up into heaven and he sat at the right hand of God. Then the disciples went out and they preached everywhere. And the Lord worked with them. Jesus got excited about this. Jesus is like, I tell you to go and preach. They went and preached. He got excited and he worked together with them. And all these signs, wonders, and miracles accompanied the preaching of his word. And also, I think all of us need that, that bit of a rebuke from time to time, don't we? That rebuke of Jesus, right, about our faith. Um, oh, sorry, I got ahead of myself. Because all of us let doubts rise up in our lives from time to time. Especially when what we're believing in the Lord, we need it now, and it's not coming now. The enemy likes to whisper, well, you remember what she did yesterday? You think you really deserve? You know, the enemy starts planting seeds of doubt and asking questions. Is that really for you? Is that really for today? Is that really supposed to happen? You know, I mean, just all these doubts and, and, and just heaps on condemnation and everything. And we need to cast those things off. When our doubt is running high and our faith is running low, we need each other. We need each other to correct our perspectives. I need that rebuke from you all from time to time, right? My elders have been awesome for that, you know? Whenever my faith is running low and, you know, we're believing in the Lord. We're putting our faith in Him. He is able. Um, you know, we need that from time to time from each other. Um, we need to build each other's faith up and to encourage each other and to remain in it together until every word comes to pass in our lives. And, of course, we remember the, old, the proverb, right? Better than two walking together is three. A three-stranded cord is not easily broken, right? When we're standing in faith, and we're standing in faith together with the Lord, well, now nothing's impossible for you, right? Nothing is impossible. When he cooperates with us, or rather, let me state that co the correct way, when we cooperate with him, as Marie, I think, shared this morning, he did only what he saw the Father doing. When we see what God is doing, and we cooperate with him, then nothing's impossible for us. That's what he's waiting on. Mark 16 also reminds us that God confirms his word with signs that accompany the preaching of it. Because anyone can read and memorize and quote the word of God. Anybody can do that. You don't need any faith to do that at all. 
You don't even have to be a believer. You can be an atheist and read the words of the Bible and memorize it and quote it and even be able to apply it to situations. You can do that. You can be an atheist and be a preacher. I mean, you really can. Okay? You can do this. I know it's ouch, but you can. But it takes faith to transform these ancient words to what they truly are. The living word of God that is still speaking alive and well right here and right now. It takes faith to apply that. And we do it either through, like, you know, learning principles from the historical accounts and life lessons from people who did it right, did it wrong, or more, more excitingly is to stand on the prophetic words and promises and to speak them into each other's lives, to speak them, to declare them, to believe in them, to stand in faith together. That's where the miraculous happens. Um, you know, faith comes first. It's not just about the word of God, but about putting our faith in it. It's not, a, and again, James said about this in James chapter 1. He's like, you know, if you, if you look into the word of God and you walk away from it, you forget about it and you don't live it out, you're a fool. Nothing's going to change in your life. It's not enough to know it. You've got to live it out in faith. It's always been faith first. Always faith first. It's our faith in what God says. That is what leads to radical acts of obedience. When we step out and God proves himself to be faithful. Faith first. The actions follow. Faith first. The feelings follow. It's always faith first. How, how do we get God to draw near to us? We draw near to him. It's our faith first. It's us. It's our faith first. Lately, I've been pondering the thought of all of the different promises of God that we're waiting on. Walking past that hope hall, honestly, it breaks my heart a lot of the times because I realize just how hurting and, and the condition of, like, you know, the church here in the area, you know, because I want to see us walking in signs, wonders, and miracles first. And, of course, we want to take them out in the community. And I don't know what, why, but somehow I see them more often whenever you're out there and you pray for people and just seen some really cool things and some testimonies that we'll share another time. Um, a couple recently, it's really cool. God still is alive and well. You know, I don't know. There's something, about, there's something about somebody who has never, ever heard about the Bible or God or Jesus and has never heard anything about it before. They just kind of take your word for it because you're some freaky stranger just walked up to them and knew something about them that they didn't know. There's something about that that builds faith, you know, and then they receive it. And there's something about us Christians that we're like, yeah, 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 heard it before. I know it. I can quote it. Something about that, instead of raising our faith, it seeds doubt because we've been prayed for so many times and we believe so many times and we feel like we've been let down so many times by God. And let's be honest, right? I felt that way. I've had just monsters in the faith pray over me and I'm still not healed, you know? I've, I've felt that myself. But we go back to that Abraham and Sarah account. They faced the facts. They admitted the reality and even when it didn't come, and didn't come, and didn't come, and didn't come for decades, it says that their faith increased because they believed that God who promised was able to fulfill. And that's what it ought to do with us. That's what it ought to do with us. So the question that I've been pondering is, how often are we waiting on God to move and to do something in our lives? And all the while, he's waiting on us to move for him to do it. How many times are we in the stalemate, this catch-22, where literally God wants to release it, but he's waiting on us 
and we want to see it released, but we're waiting on him. And so nothing happens. We become stagnant. Completely stagnant. And this happens so many times in the Word of God, but uh, just, you know, a, a real practical example here was Moses when they came to the Red Sea. Um, it's kind of humorous, but not. Um, at the parting of the Red Sea, remember God's people, they walked on dry land. The Egyptians were swallowed up in the water. But when they first got there, they were literally between these two mountains, between the sea, the Egyptian army's coming up on them. They were between a rock and a hard place. Impossible. There's nothing they could do to save themselves. Nothing they could do. And they were like, you brought us out here just to make this our tomb instead of Egypt. Gee, thanks. You know, it really helped me out there, you know. Out of, out of the pot and into the pan, or how, what is it, out of the pot and in the fire, or whatever, you know. Man, one step forward, two step back. It's like, I'm so tired of this in life. That's how they were feeling. They just couldn't break through. They were faced with death on every side. And the people were understandably distraught and panicked. They were worried. They were filled with anxiety. They probably have depression. I mean, you name it. All the nasty stuff you can experience emotionally in life, they were dealing with it. Moses told the people, just stand still and just watch how God is going to rescue you. Just stand here today. You are going to see the Lord fight for you. Today, the very enemies who are coming after you, you are going to watch the Lord destroy them. You just got to stand here and wait. That's literally what Moses said. And God's like, hey, Moses, uh, no, get to moving. Get to walking. What are you doing just standing there crying out to me? Literally, that's what happened. I love it. Just read the account. God spoke to Moses and said, why are you just standing there? Move on. Take the next step. Get going. I love it. God told Moses to tell the people to get moving, to cross the Red Sea. He told Moses, just raise your hands over the sea and you'll divide the waters. So Moses did this. As soon as Moses raised his hands, there's, trust me, this does nothing to water. Go down to the lake or over here to Cal and Shawnee and try it next time you're out fishing. Be like, Phew. it does nothing to water. There's nothing magical about that. What was magical about that was that he took a radical step of obedience in response to a word of God. He did what God called him to do. And because he did what God called him to do, boom, instantly, the angelic host did what they were commissioned to do. I, I love what happened. They, they, they parted the waters. An angel went around, moved to the back of the people, and protected them from the Egyptians until they all crossed safely. The angel twisted up the, the Egyptians' chariot wheels. It, it caused all kinds of confusion, you know. And it's just it's so awesome. The people took a step of faith. And in the heavenly realms, they all did what they were called to do. It was a cooperation. Everybody did their part, and it led to their salvation. It led to a miracle. Um, you know, just, I love it. They're, they're believing in faith that God is able to save them from the Egyptians. Moses, he is one of the greatest prophets ever. He is prophesying it out. Just stand here and wait and see. You're going to see. He wasn't speaking incorrectly. But they had to do their part, and then God did his part. I mean, think about it. God's people were waiting on him to act, and he was waiting on them. How many of us are in that situation and we don't even know it? We're waiting on God. God is waiting on us. His will is clear. His purposes are clear. Everything is there. We're not in disagreement on something. It's just he's waiting on us to take the next step of faith. 
What is your next step? What move is God waiting on you for? We say we're waiting on a move of God. We're just waiting for the Holy Spirit to come and bring revival. And God's like, I'm waiting for someone to go out and preach it. I'm waiting for someone to go out and share the good news. You know, we're like, God, we're just waiting for you to bring healing into this valley. And God's like, well, I'm waiting for you to go lay hands on the sick people. You know, how many times is this happening? We're waiting on him. He's waiting on us. And then nothing happens. What is God waiting on you for? What is the last thing he told you to do? And you're like, mm, I don't know about that one. <laughs> what is he waiting on us for? Because our provision, our salvation, our healing, our deliverance, or whatever, whatever you are waiting on for God it might be held up by that simple lack of faith to take that step. Maybe we just need to take that step of faith. Think about it. Think about the issue of uh, the woman who had the issue of blood. She, all she had to do is reach out and touch the hem of, uh, the hem of Jesus' garment, right? You know, and then the power of God was released, and she was healed. You know, I mean, Jesus is like, whoa, what just happened here? Who, just, who touched me <laughs> in this giant crowd of people? But he felt the power of God go through his body. All, all that she had to do is, is touch the hem of his garment. Think about that. How desperate are we for a move of God? What are we willing to give? Better question is, what are we holding on to? Fear of man, we might look silly, might sound stupid. What are we waiting for? Being healed of leprosy. It happened by going and washing seven times in the Jordan River. Marching around the walls of Jericho seven days to bring those crashing down, right? Blowing the trumpet, smashing the jars to defeat the Midianite army. Striking a rock with a staff to release a river of water, enough to, feed, to, drink, to uh, satisfy the thirst of an entire nation. Throwing a bowl of salt into a well to fix the water so it was no longer poisoned. Walking into a flooded river to cross a, on dry ground. Think about it. Every miracle of God required God's people to do something in faith. Like, I'm having a hard time coming up with anything that God did of significance in his word that ever happened without somebody taking a step in an act first. It required an act of faith before he did the miracle. Faith first. Faith in his word. Faith that you're hearing his voice. Faith in whatever. I, seriously, I had a really hard time. And share it with me if you come up with one. I couldn't find anything of significance that happened in the Bible where it wasn't God's people who did something in faith. Then the miracle happened. Over and over and over again. You know, but Peter and John at the gate called beautiful. And they're like, I'm broke. Okay? We talk about finances. They're like, I, I got no money. But what I do have, I'll give you. They reached out their hand and said, get up and walk. And he was healed that very day. Caused a ruckus, they got thrown in jail over it, you know. And they, they were like, these dudes are dumb. They're common, ordinary, unschooled. Unschooled people, they'd just been with Jesus. Read it in Acts chapter 3 and 4. They, they couldn't figure it out, but they'd been with Jesus. You don't need a lot of resources because you've got the resources of heaven. If you just have the faith to believe it's true. That Jesus has given everything that you need to live a life of godliness. Everything you need to fulfill your calling in life. Everything you need for revival to break out, he's given to us. If we have enough faith to take that step, right? We close on this little scripture here. James chapter 
2, verse 14, 26. Most of us are familiar with this. But he says, what good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith but has no deeds? Can such a faith save them? It's one thing to respond to an altar call and to give your life to Jesus. It's another thing to continue in your salvation, to work it out with fear and trembling, as Paul said, to walk by faith and not by sight. Suppose a brother or sister is without clothes and daily food. If one of you says to them, just go in peace, keep warm, be well fed. We're a prophetic people here. We love prophecy. We'll declare the truth of God into your life. But we got to couple that with something. What good does it do if I tell Nate, I don't know, what are you lacking right now? Nothing, you're spoiled, whatever. Dude's an adult now, as of yesterday, turned 18. Yeah, that's what a man looks like, right? <laughs> Anyways, yeah. Nikki soon to be a woman of God, right? A few more months. 18, it's really hard to believe. I never thought I'd be a parent of an adult child. That's weird. <laughs> but if we prophesy to somebody and we do nothing to help their practical needs, what good is it? It's meaningless. You know, but... If you practically help their needs and you, you give them some hope, you speak some truth into their life, they're going to take it, believe it, and stand on it, right? We've seen it happen over and over and over again. If one of you says to them, go in peace, keep warm and well-fed, but does nothing about their physical needs, what good is it? In the same way, faith by itself, if it is not accompanied with action, is dead. But some will say, well, you have faith, but I have deeds. I'll work out my salvation, right? Can't be done. Paul, or James rather says, show me your faith without deeds. I'll show you my faith by my deeds. You believe that there's one God, good. Guess what? Even the demons believe that and they shudder. Even the demons believe that. You foolish person. Do you want evidence that faith without deeds is useless? Was not our father Abraham considered righteous for what he did when he offered his son Isaac on the altar? You see that his faith and his actions were working together. I, I kind of view it like a, a coupling, like the coupling between a train engine and a train car. Faith and works. You need both to get anywhere, to do anything. If you have one without the other, what good is a train engine when it shows up at the station and all the coal's still sitting back there on the tracks? And what good is it, the coal sitting there on the tracks, if there's no engine to move it where it needs to get to, Right? You need both. You need that coupling. That coupling is faith. Faith. Faith couples are, are faith and deeds. You know, it just, oh, it's awesome. What we hope for and what we do. And he continues on. He says, you see, that his faith and his actions were working together. And his faith was made complete by what he did. And the scripture was fulfilled that says, Abraham believed God. It was credited to him as righteousness. And he was called God's friend. A friend of God. Friend will do a favor for you when you're in a bind, right? A good, true friend. There is no friend like Jesus. He will help you out when you are in need. But he might want to do it through one of his followers, you know? Don't be afraid to ask for help if you need help. You could be a blessing to somebody by actually being in need. We don't think about it that way often, do we? But when we read through Acts 2 and Acts 4, and we look at the early church and what it looked like, nobody was in need because when somebody was in need, somebody else would sell off property or put it on Facebook Marketplace and, you know, get enough money to meet the need. 
the reason I, I, I think that doesn't happen in the church today is because some of us are just afraid to share our needs, that, you know, we need a little hand, and if we shared that, maybe someone else would be able to meet it, and then, oh, man, it's a beautiful thing. Then there's no need, and then we can start reaching out of the community and meeting all those needs and those needs and those needs. In fact, he goes on and he says in verse 25, wasn't, in the same way, wasn't even Rahab the prostitute considered righteous for what she did when she gave lodging to the spies and then sent them off in a different direction? As the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without works is dead. A living faith at work exists as obedience done in trust. Living faith, a living faith at work exists as obedience done in trust. You hear the word of God and you just do it. Our faith is shown, our faith is revealed, our faith is proven genuine by what we do. And so again, what work, what, what, what step is God waiting on you to take? All of us. God's not finished with us yet because your heart's still beating, you're still breathing. That means each and every one of us in this building here has a step that we haven't taken yet in faith. What is it? What is that next step that we need to take so that we can see God bring forth all of his promises? Let's take that next step. Let's choose to walk obediently in faith and not by sight so that we can become personal eyewitnesses to the miraculous power of God, his ability to do anything. There's nothing too hard for him. Then we'll have a testimony to share of God's goodness and his faithfulness to inspire other people to take their next step as well. That's why Jesus created this beautiful thing called the church. You're, you have faith for something that I'm down for right now. I got faith for something you're down for right now. And when we come together, we can build each other up in the faith so we become mature and complete, lacking nothing. Isn't it a beautiful thing? All right, let's close in prayer. So Jesus, we thank you for the word that went forth this morning, your word, that tells us that there's nothing too hard for you. There's nothing impossible for you. But Jesus, you said it takes faith. It requires faith, even faith as small as a mustard seed. So Jesus, like that father and his son, forgive us for our doubt. Lord, we believe, but help our unbelief. Show us those areas of doubt in our hearts and in our minds and help us to walk by faith and not by sight. Forgive us for waiting on you when you're waiting on us to move. Forgive us for putting you in this stalemate. Forgive us for not giving you something to work with. Lord, I'm thinking of all the prophets that you said. You told them to open their mouth and you would fill it. Jesus, this morning we open our mouths, we open our hearts, we open our lives. And we pray that you would fill it. Fill it with your desires, with your plans, with your purposes, with your strength. And Lord, we commit to you this morning, we will take that next step. We will take that next step of faith. Because we trust in you. It's nothing on us, nothing we can accomplish. It is all you, Lord. So let your will be done here on the earth, even as it is in heaven, through us, your people, even as it has always been in your name. Amen.